Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. I'm Tim Grady, and our guest today is Chris Keel, who is a noted economist that we always enjoy talking to. He's with the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. He also puts out the Credit Manager's Index Report and probably a dozen other things we don't even know about. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Well, uh, welcome, uh, Chris, and I'm going to say what I was going to say anyway. <laughs> so I owe you twenty. I owe you twenty-five cents for that famous and infamous um, ec- uh, economist remark called "unless." In explaining exactly. something, in explaining something this morning to one of my uh, associates, I had to make a, a, a statement, and then I realized, well, unless. And I went on and exactly. did that. And I said, exactly. "Wow, it's such a it's a great term. It gets you it out is. of almost it everything." <laughs> it absolutely does. I mean, you know, it, well, it, is, well, it is the it is the yes. Welcome well, it's very, aboard. Very useful. So, how how does the credit managers index look? Unless you didn't write it this month. Well, I did write it this <laughs> month, and and uh, I, as I do every month, and. It's a little weird. Um, we've had pretty good readings for the most part, but there was one that went very dramatically south, and we're still trying to figure out exactly why. So one of the things that we track is what we call dollar collections, and this is kind of the lifeblood of credit. This is people paying you back for the credit that you have issued them. And it took a big dive. I mean, it was way up in the 50s and and low 60s, and it dove into the 40s, which is contraction zone. None of the others really reacted quite that dramatically. There was a little bit of of down behavior in some of the other areas, but nothing particularly dramatic. And so we've been kind of puzzling through this for the last couple of weeks. I mean, I went through the numbers half a dozen times just to make sure that it wasn't a – an error of some kind. Um, the most logical explanation at this point is that, and this is something we saw sort of developing since the beginning of the year, when you start to see recovery in an economy, there's different speeds that companies go. A few of them <clears throat> will take advantage of the growth right away and are starting to build market share and do all the things they've been planning to do. The other companies in that sector may or may not be as ready. And all of a sudden they look up and their competitors are moving rapidly and they're adding market share and they're getting active with sales. So it prompts them to kind of hurry up and try to catch up. And they may or may not be ready for that kind of of expansion. So two or three months go by and they have, bet the farm and they're taking on more credit and they're doing all this stuff and it's not quite working out the way they thought it would. And suddenly they find it difficult to pay their creditors. So we had begun to see some changes in the rate of slow pays, you know, people who were having difficulty, you know, keeping up with the terms that they had originally agreed to. So we're kind of thinking that that's what's happening 
but we're not going to know for sure for another month. Um, overall, the index is not bad. It's not good. It's kind of steady at this point. Um, nothing particularly dramatic uh, either way, except for that one indicator, which is kind of an outlier at this stage. Well, that's uh, an interesting uh, perspective, uh, Chris. Um, I, I was looking at it also as a non-economist would look at that. Um, I yes. would say that people are becoming afraid to spend all their cash. So mm-hmm. the, the collections have dropped because there is concern out there. And, and the, the figures for April of new sales have uh, uh, gone down. Uh, new orders mm-hmm. have gone down uh, as of a report that I read a couple of days ago. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit also of let's hold on to the dollars. Let's see where this is going. That's, yeah, that's my there may be, there may be some on. of that. But one of the, the challenges is that if you have a credit relationship with somebody and you decide that you're not going to pay them on time, that can get sort of costly um, because there's generally yeah. some provisos built into the contract saying, oh, hi, you didn't pay me. Guess how much you owe me now? Um, and if you don't pay me in another <laughs> week, well, guess how much you owe me now? Um, and pretty Are soon, you talking it's about kind of like that. Well, you know, it, it's sort of about... like what happens when you when you don't pay the, the loan shark. Um, it doesn't go away. Right. So there's a certain amount of, of wanting to be responsible with credit, but I think you're also right that there has been enough. They may not be consciously deciding not to pay, but they're paying higher prices for transportation. They're paying higher prices for raw materials. We've talked about steel and aluminum before, and they just may be cash short, and, and they're sort of like, well, I don't really intend not to pay people but i don't have the money and i think that that's going to be a bigger issue as we go through the rest of the year i mean the latest word on the steel tariffs is another one of these only politicians can think that doing something for a month makes any sense at all it's like (laughs) every business either oh yes let's do strategic planning for tomorrow and are you kidding me (laughs) You know, companies kind of go out a little further than that, you know, like maybe one to five years. And, you know, it just drives me nuts. I'm I'm just about to the point that anyone who calls himself a politician should be sequestered, maybe at Area 51, <laughs> and hope the aliens come and get them. So. <laughs> We agree. Well, we don't talk we politics agree. on this show. There you go. We don't talk politics on this show. No, <laughs> but it's not hard at all. to talk no, about no, numbers. I... Yeah, not at all. <laughs> well, the only way I guess that will will come to pass is if next month that number is somewhere is around there also, or getting worse. Right. Yeah, if, I mean, if we'll it gets be better than really the anomaly. Pretty... Yeah, we'll be looking for two things. One is going to be to see if that number changes. We'll also be looking at the slow pays. And because those are both sort of early indicators that there's going to be trouble. The next step, when usually shows up in our index, is you'll start to see more accounts out for collection. You'll see more disputes, more bankruptcies. 
those are kind of the the end game. You know, things have gotten really bad at that point. Um, but when it's still sort of in the dollar collection slow pay category, it hasn't yet reached a crisis level. You haven't started calling Guido yet, um, but you're suggesting that that's the next step. <laughs> so. <laughs> is there anything uh, else in the credit manager's index other than that, Chris? That's, <clears throat> excuse me, alarming or you know, not really because when we look at at the two breakdowns, favorable and unfavorable, the favorable factors are still all high fifties in the sixties. Um, we still see you know decent numbers for sales, decent numbers for amount of credit extended. You know, so there hasn't been a, a collapse by any stretch. The unfavorable factors have been lower in general. They've been sort of hugging that line between expansion and contraction, but they're still in expansion mode for the most part, close if not actually in the 50s, high 40s. Um, so no real crisis showing up. It's just this this preparatory thing has us a little bit concerned because that's as I said it's the early warning. If it if it continues down this path, then the next thing we start to see is the accounts out for collection and disputes, and those are generally more serious. And that that's what we would like to avoid. Uh, Chris, not to not to be the subject to death. Um, the your manufacturing index, uh, <laughs> the manufacturing index monthly uh, chart shows April and March were two minus months, and those were the first mm-hmm. two in a year that they were back to back off the mark. We had, right. we had a pretty good year, and uh, so that could be just another indicator that perhaps is tied to uh, the other numbers that we were just talking about. The, yeah, because uh, I think what you've seen in general is, you know, we've been talking about this for a year, you know, inflation's coming, inflation's coming. And I think we're yeah. now starting to really see it because oil prices are now up in the 70s per barrel. And that triggers the logistics companies to do all kinds of stuff with fuel surcharges. Um, so we do an index for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association called the FFJSCR, Forming and Fabricating Job Shop something. We really need to work on that acronym. Um, yeah, but, get a marketing person. <laughs> I know, because right now I try to pronounce it, and all they come up with Fifisteer, um, which is <laughs> doesn't really roll off the tongue. But one of the things that we noted is that logistics costs, I mean, 90% of the respondents indicated logistics costs are going up. And, you know, that's fuel surcharges, that's higher price fuel. And at the same time, as we talked about at the last show, and we'll probably talk about it every show from here for the next 20 years, steel and aluminum tariffs um, have driven up the price of steel and aluminum. So you're seeing... That kind of of inflation creeping up, we're still not seeing it much when it comes to wages, but it's it's a little bit on the horizon. You know, you're beginning to see, particularly if you're trying to hire a person with a skill, um, they they aren't out there. You're basically, and we've talked about this before, manufacturers are poaching each other 
trying to find those employees. And if you're poaching somebody, chances are you're paying them more money. Well, Chris, now that you brought up the tariffs, because that's a subject near but not dear to our hearts. Yes, yes. Uh, (laughs) um, What do you think the impact is going to be because of the tariffs on U.S. manufacturers, the agricultural industry, you know, the guys here, we realize we're trying to punish China, but there's going to be some pain in the USA, is there not? Oh, absolutely. I mean, from the very beginning, this was seen as a very a very foolish move. I mean, it's something that was tried back in 2002 in the Bush administration and failed miserably. I mean, it cost thousands of jobs in manufacturing and accomplished absolutely nothing. And so it's like, wow, that worked so well last time. Let's do it again. <laughs> and it's it's one of those things where even though the majority of the imported steel is still coming to the U.S. or still can, um, we have essentially focused now on three countries. It's China, Russia, and Japan. And the three of them combined maybe account for 15 to 20% of steel imports, but the steel companies here have not wasted any time and they have raised their prices as if there was no imports coming in. And so prices have been jacking up anyway, which would be predictable. I mean, that was kind of the whole idea is to allow the steel companies to make more money. Not necessarily a a bad thing, but you have to understand that the money is going to come from somebody, and the money that is being made by steel companies is being taken from the manufacturers who now are paying more for that raw material. The big concern, I think, going forward for the manufacturer, I mean, and the price is a concern, don't get me wrong, but the way that you get around these steel tariffs, if they do stay in place, is you start importing steel products, and then you're off the hook. And as a result, the manufacturer in the U.S. is saying, oh, swell, the steel is more expensive. (laughs) Now I'm going to be competing with steel products coming in from China and Russia and Japan and whoever else. Really, why do you hate us? What you, are are you you know just what if you don't want any manufacturers left in the U.S. just ban us altogether so we don't have this expense. <laughs> um, so it just it's so penny wise and pound foolish. And I'm not disagreeing that steel needs help, but so much of the problems that steel has been running into have been government con- contrived anyway. I mean, the worst thing that ever happened to steel was the fuel efficiency standards for cars. And it was like overnight the auto industry is supposed to have fuel-efficient cars. Well, they delivered by making the cars infinitely lighter. And they did that by taking the steel out of the car. So you now have 60% less steel in an automobile than you had in the 1970s. And, well, you know, now, if you hit a bug at high speed, you have to go to the body shop, but you know it also crushes the steel industry. Uh, Chris, there's also something that came out in the uh, New York Times uh, about a week ago, 
there's what they call transshipments. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that or not. Mm-hmm. And what what they do is they uh, ship from uh, China to Malaysia primarily. Right. And there are freight forwarder logistic companies that will receive your goods, repackage the goods, redocument mm-hmm. the goods, sign a certificate of origin saying uh, Malaysia, not China, and then ship it to the United States where there is no duty at all. Now, oh, absolutely. You would say, well, that's pretty – yeah, say, oh, that's pretty expensive. Well, it's not really that much that expensive because this one particular company charges $500 to do this whole conversion on your shipment. Right, and, right. And uh, the cost of shipping from Malaysia to California is not a whole lot different than uh, China to California. So uh, no, this is another workaround. Yeah, Which I, mean, I wouldn't do that because, the... of course, it's illegal. Well, and, and in many cases, it's not even illegal. You know, it's one of those things where you have legitimate reasons where you may put assemblies together in, in a different country. Right. China has been for years investing in Southeast Asia, uh, setting up greenfield operations. Japan still dominates uh, in that sector, but China's catching up. And it's it's something that they do to take advantage of local labor force or local rules. Um, and mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons that things like tariffs and, and this sort of stuff have been almost wholesale rejected by trade experts as, as ridiculous. They don't work. There are so many ways to get around them. And you're either going to see these kind of workarounds, as you described, you're going to see manufacturers in China just simply making things out of the steel instead of shipping the steel. And it's like tariffs don't work. I mean, anyone who has ever dealt with taxes, which is all a tariff is, what do people do? They stay awake nights trying to find ways not to pay that tax. And if there's a way out of it, then you do. And it's the same thing with tariffs. I mean, if you want to do something about a country with its its dumping attitude towards steel. There are other techniques, there are other ways that you can limit uh, what a country ships into your country. But, you know, oftentimes we take the simple solution, which is generally not a very workable solution, and and we kind of forget the whole picture. You know, I mean, China is a very frustrating country to work with. They don't play by the same rules that we do. They have lots of different motivations. Um, frequently, we have to get pretty creative about how we deal with China. But it's a, it's kind of a, a reality. And it doesn't do us much good to stick our head in the sand and say, well, we're just going to ban this. Well, good luck with that. Um, it's it's the Chinese are not without their own resources <laughs> when it comes to getting around this stuff. So, how long do you think it's going to take for our administration to realize that this is one colossal foobar? You know, I think it'll probably take a combination of of factors. It's going to be the manufacturers kind of getting organized and making it clear that you're jeopardizing, you know, 6 million plus jobs, which is starting to happen. Most of the manufacturing associations have been pretty aggressive about this. I think it's going to be 
increased pressure from our allies. Um, the Europeans are not happy. The Canadians, the Mexicans, the Brazilians, they're all sort of, of objecting to the way this is being played out. And maybe ultimately it's going to be using this as leverage with, with China. I mean, at the end of the day, we're trying to get things out of China. Um, China is beginning to respond. One of the big changes of a week ago is that you're now going to see American-owned securities and financial institutions functioning in China. Up till now, that's not been allowed. American companies have, have not been allowed to own majority shares in in these Chinese financial institutions. That now is going to change. And that was something that we had been lobbying hard for. So a bunch of this is related to higher level negotiations over things that are completely unrelated to steel, aluminum, or manufacturing. But that's kind of the nature of, of trade negotiations now. It's like we're fighting for the right for American lawyers and bankers to work in China, and by God, we're putting the manufacturers on the chopping block because we know how much manufacturers love lawyers and bankers. Chris, is the next uh, logical conclusion that this is going to spike prices and actually cause inflation or inflation to be worse yeah i think it will um i don't know that you're going to see an immediate transfer of, of that price increase to the consumer it's going to kind of depend on the capacity to absorb some of these these increases unfortunately for the small to medium-sized manufacturer which is what they're feeling now the big OEMs that they're selling to, whether it's the agricultural sector or the automotive sector, you know, Ford and GM are going to look at their suppliers and say, yeah, I know your prices have gone up. I don't care. You know, you need to sell me this part at this price, and I'm not going to pay yep. any more. And right. so the small to medium-sized manufacturer is going to have to eat it because Ford and GM are not going to raise the price of their car to the consumer. And so the burden is going to fall on the small to medium-sized guy who has no latitude at all except to pay the higher price and at the same time try to figure out how to pay for the worker they can't afford. And, you know, pretty soon you're going to have the owners of these companies living in the dumpster out back in order to keep the company going. And that's and that's the, the tragedy is that, it's the little guy in the manufacturing sector that takes it in the shorts every time. There is an alternative to this, Chris, and that is that the American manufacturer bail out and move to Panama City, Panama. The exactly. King. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think well, I think that this is Go ahead, Chris. Hello. I was gonna say, yeah, well I think I think what you are gonna see is is companies having to make some very difficult choices about where they do production, where they get parts, um, you know, it's it, you just have a, a combination of factors. Many of the manufacturers that I speak to, just because of the labor shortage situation, are stymied. I mean, they would be doing more business. They'd be growing faster if they could find the people, which they can't. And now, all of a sudden, they're also going to be paying more for transportation, for raw materials, for intermediate parts. And it's like, 
you get to the point where you sort of throw your hands up in despair and say, you know, for crying out loud, you know, can I get a break on any of these things? And and that may be where the pressure starts to mount because when you start to communicate to the politician that, you know, it's an election year, and if you're indirectly or directly responsible for a thousand people losing their jobs, you know, you're going to be one of them. Um, so it's, I hate to say it, it's kind of a pat response, but now is a really good time to talk to the candidates and say, if you continue to be in a complete nitwit, I'm not going to put you back in power. <laughs> so, um, Chris, I'm just That's wondering if agricultural Yeah, Chris, I'm just wondering in the uh, agricultural sector, soybeans, pork that are going to get tariffed by China. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, my concern? Is that the uh, the American producer is going to get crushed because they're not going to be able to sell it to China? They're going to have to dump it in the United States at depressed prices and take a hell of a loss. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the big concerns is that this is not going to be a great agricultural year anyway. Uh, we had a very late um, winter and spring has been slow to start. You know, I'm in the great state of Kansas and we had a freeze um, really late in the year, which killed off a bunch of the wheat already. I mean, so what was looking to be a really good year is going to be mediocre at best. The only saving grace when it comes to agriculture, particularly right now for soybeans, is that some of our competitor countries are having an even worse time than we are. Um, The soybean crop in Argentina has been almost a total loss. Brazil hasn't done much better. Um, So we will probably be able to sell some of the soybean production we have to those countries um, particularly Argentina, because Argentina uses it the same way we do. It's cattle feed. Um, and it's all going to sort of come down to alternative markets. But generally speaking, losing a market as big as, as China is, is not healthy for the American farmer. And this is not going to be a particularly benign year for them anyway. That's uh, well, interesting and in- I suspect it's going to be somewhat devastating, Luke. Uh, I, I was going to say that it, uh, it's going to be, in totality, it's going to be a wait and see. Um, there's uh, no telling uh, which way the effects of the administration are going to have uh, in, in, in reality uh, to our economy and economies around the world. Who knows? Maybe the guy is right, you know, but I, I wouldn't bet yeah, on I mean- and, and the challenge, I think, right now is that it's, it's, there's so much that's up in the air. And one thing that's characteristic of the Trump administration so far is that he's sort of constantly in deal-making, negotiating mode, which in some respects is, is not bad. But the one thing that business really dislikes is uncertainty. It needs to know the rules at least for six months to a year ahead of time so it can plan. And if you're going to do tariffs, well, then do them. If you're not going to do them, then don't do them. But one-month extensions and, you know, the kind of nonsense that Congress goes through every time it tries to do a budget. It's like, oh, boy, we finally got a budget at the last possible second. Well, for the 27,000 companies that do business with the government, you're sort of, well, you know, you'll either have money or you won't. 
and they're, excuse me, you know, I'm hiring people on the basis of they'll have a job. And if you suddenly decide not to do a budget, what am I supposed to do with this? I mean, that may work for a politician. They pat themselves on the back. They got a last-minute deal. Business doesn't like last-minute deals. And as a result, you just have way too much uncertainty. And it's now starting to show up at the consumer because the consumer is beginning to get nervous. And they're saying, well, you know, if all these bad outcomes take place, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to not get my raise? Um, what's going to happen to my company? And the one thing you don't want is a consumer that's worried because now they start saving. They start deleveraging. They don't want to spend. And in an economy that's 80% dependent on consumers, you know, that's not a good thing. We want them to feel confident in pulling out that plastic and saying, sure, I want to spend. I feel good. <laughs> well, that's not that's not the way it is now, unfortunately, and uh, unfortunately, it's going to be a while before uh, you know everybody fully understands that the the methodology that's being used right now is called us and them, and that certainly right. isn't very team like. It's not very patriotic in in, in the most grandiose scale. So um, we who are in manufacturing, we see all of the concerns. Uh, through our customers at uh, All Metals and Forge Group, that there are uh, transactions that we have that we've been told for the last 60 days, we're going to be placing that order. We're going to be placing the order. The order is Mm -hmm. coming. My customer didn't give me the order number yet, but it's your order. Well, I can't take it's your order to the bank. No, exactly right. And. And the problem also, of course, is that we're not the only place that's experiencing this kind of uh, unknown. I mean, we're still dealing with Brexit in Europe. Um, we're you know, two years into this, and we still don't know what it's going to look like. The latest PMI for Britain was way down. Uh, it was hitting levels that it hasn't hit since 2016. Um, so you're beginning to see this pop up internationally and I'm just starting to see the PMI numbers for the rest of the world and they're not awful but they're not looking as healthy as they had Uh, the Eurozone PMI is down a little bit the German PMI is down a little bit and that's an indication that people aren't sure what's what's transpiring in their part of the world either they're worried about what kind of sanctions are going to be imposed on Russia um, you know, we forget, for example, I mean, just with the aluminum tariff, you know, the biggest producer of aluminum is a Russian company. And are they going to be sanctioned or not? One of the the suggestions was that if they dump one of the investors that is the one we're targeting, then they won't be sanctioned. Well, you know, I just it, it becomes very difficult for the community as a whole to kind of figure out what's going on. It's like literally... My whole business is riding on whether or not this guy named Oleg gets kicked out of Rusal. What? <laughs> it's like, I don't even know Oleg. Um, what, is, what is he to be? So, well, Chris, you certainly have made a certainly have made me totally depressed this morning, and I still have four more days for the week to go. It's my job, you know. I mean, as I've said many times, it is my job to find the dark cloud behind every silver lining. 
and then say, <laughs> unless. come on, say it. Unless. <laughs> unless. 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 Right. <laughs> well, thanks for the up update. Uh, it's been uh, thrilling as usual, and we appreciate your, 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 your humor. You're so you're so welcome. <laughs> Thank you much, Tim. So hang on for the weekend; it's coming. <laughs> Talk to you guys later. <laughs> it may take the uh, rest we, of the day off. Yeah, right. Uh, we've been speaking with Chris Keel, who is uh, the economist for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. He's also a managing partner with Armada Corporate Intelligence, and uh, he works with a number of other associations as their economist. And he's always got this great news, doesn't he, Lou? Yeah, and actually I was thinking uh, just a moment ago that perhaps the uh, correspondence, uh, news correspondence dinner should have uh, Chris there um, uh, doing the uh, comedic role. Uh, it might be better than this past past year's one. Yeah, clearly, clearly. Well, if you want to browse through this material again, it's always at mfgtalkradio.com, where we have a complete archive of our now approaching 300 shows, if we haven't gone over that number. And we have an expanding archive of shows and new shows at womenandmfg.com. That's our WAM show on another channel. So always come back and listen to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We have a lot of new material going up every week, and thank you for listening to us today. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.